HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. Singer Equipment Company provides industry-leading service to restaurants nationwide. Whether you're expanding or upgrading or just need a partner to help navigate supply chain challenges, Singer Equipment Company is here for you. Visit SingerEquipment.com to learn more. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Eleanor Hayden, president of Hayden Consultancy, a shopper marketing and merchandising firm that helps food and beverage CPG brands with their in-store and online retailer marketing programs. Eleanor helps brands with sponsored search, in-store execution, and a lot more at grocery retailers like Target, Walmart, Whole Foods, Kroger, and many others. Welcome, Eleanor. Hi, how's it going? Hi, I am so excited for this conversation. I love having founders on, I really do, but I really love having people like you who are actually like the engine behind the brands. And I can't wait to hear all about shopper marketing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so, excited to be here. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, it's, you know, I, I don't know if this is an apt, like, you know, metaphor, but I really do. I feel like shopper marketing kind of was almost considered a little like fuddy duddy for a couple of years. Like, I think there was this sort of like surge of digitally native brands and it wasn't really cool to talk about like merchandising or promotion plans or anything like that. Um, but then I think all of us realized actually how important in-store and not just in-store, but online search with grocery stores um, really matters, you know, to building a brand and, and building awareness and stores are still important, you know, if you're going to be in them. Um, so I feel like it kind of lost its hotness for a second, but now it's kind of like the 90s. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, shopper 
it used to be like all coupons and in-store signage, which kind of like lost its sexiness pretty quickly once we were able to get more data from digital tools like Mm -hmm. social media where they're sharing impressions and reach and engagement and all these cool, fun uh, data. And so now, you know, as we're starting to get more and more, we can connect activities uh, directly to retail sales. Brands are kind of shifting dollars back over from things like Instagram and Facebook into um, digital bottom of funnel tactics directly with retailers, kind of like sponsored search and digital coupons and some of the things that, um, you know, we were mentioning earlier in this call. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we get into the funnel and the top and the bottom and all that, how did you get into this? Like, how did you've had a interesting ride in the world of CPG? You seem to have always been sort of like a food and product person. Um, yes. And what is Ballistic Bake Shop? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So um, Ballistic Bake Shop is, uh, that's like my, believe it or not, my second go at entrepreneurship. You know, I started my own little um, business growing up in Dallas uh, when I was in high school, selling cakes and other baked goods for mm-hmm. um birthdays and holidays, but Ballistic Bake Shop, I like to say is a little bit more legit. I had a commercial um, kitchen. And, oh, cool. Um, How old were you? It was you? really fun. I started it when I was 19. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was in college. I went to the school at the University of Colorado. Go Buffs. Um, <laughs> and uh, while I was there, you know, I loved making cake balls for my friends and then, um, you know, really wanted to do my own CPG one day. So I thought, why don't I start it off here, see how things go, get kind of a little bit of a lay of the land, figuring out how kind of ops and working directly with the retailers work. So um, I sold cake balls uh, to local coffee shops. And then if anybody remembers Alfalfa's Market, um, (laughs) it is, I think during the pandemic, they closed down, but that was Mm. my biggest uh, retailer. It was, yeah, really fun. And um, I learned a ton. Yeah. Yeah. And then you were doing internships, um, during college. So you, you did get some, like, I mean, I'm looking at Nestle and Frito-Lay and Wendy's and like, what, what kind of internships and what kind of research were you doing and what were you learning? Yeah. So, um, going to school in Colorado, being from Texas, uh, school (laughs) out of state tuition was pretty expensive. So I did, Mm -hmm. I did the whole like emancipation from your parents. So I can then kind of get in-state tuition, things like that. So um, Mm. to do that, I needed to work full time so I could show that I could pay rent and all that. So that's, um, you know, I started working at SRG as an intern. Um, So I'd go to school on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then I interned for them 40 hours a week. So just really got a chance to super get in the weeds with brand innovation and product development there. That's where um, I worked with Wendy's and Jack in the Box. Those are some of my bigger clients. Um, and that is really where I learned to push the creative limits. It's like, I, I really was able to see how far can we really go? Um, but then also learning, you know, time management is my first job while I was in college right. and to go full-time so quickly. So it was just a lot. Um, and honestly just got like really good at formatting presentations and attention to detail. Right. Um, I mean, that's generally what those first jobs are, but it's interesting that you were doing brand innovation. I mean, Mm -hmm. did you learn how to do market research? Like, did you learn fundamentals? Yeah. Yeah. So the market research uh, fundamentals came from my internship at Egg Strategy. So that was a more market research specific internship while my time at SRG was um, product development. And then I did a lot of competitive research as well there. Um, but yeah, market research, I spent most of my time, uh, at egg strategy working on, um, a beverage, uh, project for another big CPG brand. And, um, again, like you really get into the nitty gritty. So just (laughs) watching hours and hours of, of content from, um, you know, other product testers and things and kind of taking, taking tallies. So, so out of all of that, did you then decide, okay, I want to go yeah. work at a big company. Yeah. Like, or, so, you know, yeah. You know, I, okay. So I really wanted to turn Ballistic Bake Shop into a, a big CPG brand, but then, mm-hmm. you know, it, uh, 
kind of dawned on me that I was like, you know, I think, I think I need a little bit more life experience. Um, and this is my chance to do it. It was, uh, April and I was like, you know, I'm graduating next month and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I need to get a job. And Pepsi was hosting a, um, little info session at my school that, that week. So I went and interviewed and, you know, ended up getting the job with Pepsi, uh, doing sales. And, I had that job and then I had uh, another offer from a market research uh, opportunity and I wanted to do the marketing one. And my parents were like, Eleanor, you're nuts. You cannot afford to live on Boulder on that kind of salary, (laughs) like take the Pepsi job. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, sales it is. Um, So that's what I did. And um, never looked back. I mean, it's really amazing experience from Pepsi. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I now know I'd say 10 to 15 people with different experiences in different places in the Pepsi ecosystem. And every one of them has gone on to do something interesting. Like, I don't know what's in the water there. It's, it's not Dasani, right? That's Coke. But like, I, there's something they're they're, they're giving you some sort of training. that really seems to work. You know, yeah. I mean, people go into like massive brand management jobs, end up being CEOs, end up being like incredible investors. You know, there's just like, what, what was it? Like, what it, what, I mean, if you had to just sort of like, yeah, look back and take some takeaways, like what, what was it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know, I think, you get the job at Pepsi, especially right out of school. And I'm thinking like, whoa, cool. I'm going to go work for this huge company. It's going to be so glam. Um, and I think what it was with Pepsi is that it, it really wasn't. It really wasn't right. super glam, right? Like, mm-hmm. I uh, I started every day. My team started at 5 a.m. And um, I actually never started later than that in my whole time there. Uh, I actually had one six month stint of time where my team started at three thirty AM. Wow. Um, Cause that's what? when grocery stores <laughs> open up, you know? So, right. Right. So, you know, what I did for Pepsi, I, uh, I managed convenience and gas, uh, sales for, um, areas of Utah and then did a grocery stint in Denver, Colorado for about six months. And that's when I was doing that three thirty AM shift. So, right. um, I mean, you really, you pack a lot into those days you know, um, though I'm starting at 5am, maybe my bosses are doing the regular, you know, maybe seven to five. I say regular, I love how that's normal right. now, seven to five. Um, but you know, so they're staying till five, which means I'm usually answering questions and <laughs> reporting also till five. So I think, you know, it was really hard work. Um, definitely a lot of perseverance and, uh, even like physical labor. I mean, on days that you're, team calls out sick and you don't have a backup person like I've spent many days in the back of a Walmart at three in the morning uh throwing just cases and cases of soda um right so you know it definitely would you say like I mean did it give you you know I think for me I I didn't obviously work at Pepsi but I don't think that I really understood and I, I guess how can you if you're just mm-hmm. a consumer, you really don't have any idea how people are kind of like supply chain now all yeah. of a sudden, right? But I don't think anyone knows what actually goes into putting stuff on the shelves and keeping them well stocked and having new products and interesting things and things that aren't out of date and, you know, <laughs> departments and warehousing and trucks. And I mean, was that kind of eye-opening at that point? Is that huge? Yeah. I think it, it taught me so much things, even as little as, you know, when I'm working with brands now and saying, Oh, well, like, you know, that product's too tall. It's not going to fit on those shelves. That's going to make it more difficult for you to get distribution. I mean, we had times where I remember when life water first came out and we were trying to put it on the shelf and it just wouldn't fit in most sets. And mm-hmm. the stores were like, well, we aren't going to carry it, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so, so things like that, um, that logistically I would have never thought of had I not had that experience at, at Pepsi. And I think another huge thing that I really took away from my experience there was 
you know, I got thrown in pretty early into a management role. I was 23 Mm -hmm. years old managing people with 10, 20 years of experience at Pepsi. I mean, like Mm. learning how to navigate managing people in a more parallel way is something that I still am Mm -hmm. utilizing to this day. I mean, um, I I still can't say that someone like works for me or is my assistant rather I would say like, Oh, I work with, you know, this person and, you know, so I think that helps a ton too. Yeah, for sure. And so how did you segue from sales into what we know as shopper marketing? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, things at Pepsi were really awesome. I felt like I was on a really great path, um, to head towards, you know, director level pretty quickly. And, um, I had really great mentors and still do, um, that I talk to still to this day. Um, but you know, I, I really was realizing, man, like I really want to get into marketing and if I'm going to do that, I got to do it now before I get too deep in my career here. So, you know, I was looking around for roles and I ended up applying actually for a field marketing role at Kodiak mm. Cakes. Mm-hmm. And I was in the interview and I felt like it went really well and I was, you know, really excited. And then at the end of the interview, I was like, you know, your experience is really great. And like everything you're saying sounds great, but I think it's better suited for another role that we're hiring for, um, shopper marketing manager. And I was like, what? Okay. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that is, but I didn't say that, you know, I was like, okay, right. get off the phone. I'm like, I'm not going to get this job. <laughs> And I ended up interviewing with the VP of sales at the time. She's now CCO, um, Darla. She's incredible. And and she really believed in me. And after our interview, she said, I'm going to offer you this job. And I was like, are you sure? I've never done this. Right. Like, <laughs> and she's like, I think you're going to do great. And, you know, I still owe so much to her and the Kodiak team for believing in me and in my potential. And they trusted me, you know, to test out programs, meet with buyers, um, right. set up retail executions. I mean, so what was that? Yeah. I mean, just because I, you know, I think we've kind of had this realization and I think if anyone listened to my pot, like the episode I did with Eddie from Magnolia, I think we've all kind of been like, Oh, what we've been doing is awareness building. You know, it's not necessarily marketing. It, it's like, there's a fine line and I'm sure there's a textbook definition to both. And I'm sure that the way that Pepsi, you know, silos sales and silos marketing and brand management, it's all kind of different, but, you know, I think we've just been until we met you, right. We were very focused on just, I think what you would refer to as the top of the funnel that, you know, getting these pouches into people's psyches having them see them a few times, starting to get name recognition, because we were hoping that then if they passed us at Whole Foods, they would then pick us up. Um, But building out the shopper marketing piece is in conjunction with the retailer. And it it kind of feels like this link between sales and marketing. Yes. A little bit. And so you know, am I, is that how you would think yeah. about it? And like, how, how, what was your job description and, and what part of it felt familiar and what part of it didn't feel familiar at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually funny. Cause, um, as a shopper marketer, I've sat on both teams. I've sat right. you know, when I was at Kodiak Cakes, I was on the back sales. And forth. Yeah. 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 At Kodiak Cakes, I was, I was formally on the sales team with like mm-hmm. a dotted line to marketing. Right. Um, but then when I went over to Siete, I was on the marketing team, then moved to sales and kind of like, you know, went a little right. bit between both. So, um, you know, not yeah, a fan of the dotted line. The dotted line. I don't, I know, you know what? I don't, I don't know that anyone can really, what does that even mean? Like, I'm kind of reporting to you, sort of, or like I, I'm keeping you abreast, but you don't actually, I don't go to you if I have a problem. Like, yeah. I think we need a firm line. You know, know, I will say I, I, uh, I actually, you know, it was so new at Kodiak. Right. I think we were just trying to figure out where it landed. I really enjoyed working with both the lead on sales and marketing. So it was, it was good to have like the check-ins with both of them. Um, Yeah, you're right. It is a lot of communication. Well, and I mean, for us, you know, right now we're very much like 
you know, we have our functions, but between sales and operations, there's like all of this space. Right. And we're like a customer service goes somewhere in there and, you know, order management goes somewhere in there. Like, but mm, we're not really sure. And then between sales and marketing, there's all this space too, you know, like what's, where's the handoff who, you know, now we have someone doing sales ops, which is super great. Um, yes. Cause I'm basically like everywhere there's a hole, you just fill it <laughs> basically like you just, yes. you know, scoop up with all the stuff that falls in between the stuff. So, and it is funny because I, I feel like there are some, there are different ways to do it. I just am like, it's either marketing or it's sales. And obviously it's all interconnected. Um, right. But I think today marketing feels much more like it's focused on that awareness pit and, you know, all the different channels and shoppers almost like it's so retail focused in a way. Right. That it feels like it just naturally falls into into sales. But I mean, obviously, however people do it, they do it. But going back to when you first got the job at Kodiak, you know, what 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 did that job description look like and what did feel familiar and what felt like, oh, I'm going to have a big learning curve on this? Yeah, I think, um, you know, working at Kodiak, pre-pandemic, shopper, very different as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did sit on the sales team. I think, you know, for, for my time there, it was really important that we utilized my skills for building relationships with the retailer marketing teams, uh, coming up with new and creative ways to, um, to get ourselves a little bit of attention at the retailer, right? Like we were a really small brand at the time. Um, you know, huge players like Pepsi and general mills were always the ones winning the slots on new year, new you and back Mm -hmm. to school. So we needed to find ways to get noticed by them that maybe also, how do we help the retailer benefit in a time that maybe isn't as bumping, you know? Right. Like, so um, we noticed some seasonality in March, for example. So, um, you know, and putting together a key event calendar for the year and saying, hey, what are like the four big activations we want to do this year? We made one up. We said, hey, like, let's do National Flapjack Day mm-hmm. and do this whole thing behind it. And I mean, yeah, that's they're the still implementing in. it. Yeah. yeah, it was so really, you know, a lot of a lot of my time there was really around just getting scrappy, coming up with different ways, because, you know, had you, you had mentioned shopper marketing used to be this kind of thing that not a ton of people would participate in, especially not smaller brands. And that's because the the activations were so expensive. I mean, right. it was all in store signage, which would be like, you know, that's a thirty thousand dollar ticket for one placement right there, mm-hmm. which you know, you can't track the sales. I mean, it's tough to say you got the ROI. Right. Um, so being able to say, okay, well, let's get scrappier. We don't have that per retailer, but can we build relationships with the marketing teams and say, like, you know, let's get a social media post or let's work together on an in-store display based on, you know, this this fun campaign we're going to do and get the buyers excited about it, get the marketing teams excited about it. Can we get everyone in the same room? Right. Um, and so, you know, I really, in my first year at Kodiak, I traveled over a hundred days, um, for just retail meetings. I mean, it was, it was so cool that they leaned in so hard, um, to get fully immersed into learning, you know, all the tactics available, testing new projects, uh, new programs, and then, you know, sticking to whichever ones were like the highest profitability tactics. And, and so going back a little bit, right? Like, I mean, if you had to define shopper marketing, basically, right? It is just finding ways to get attention at a particular retailer. Like it's, you're you're yeah. at the retailer and now you just have to figure out how to get people to buy you. Well, that is part of the shopper journey, right? It's like, mm-hmm. if you Googled like the actual definition, it's like, you know, something super like, right appealing to the mar- the shopper uh, throughout the shopper journey, you know, right. uh, pre-shop, shop, and post-shop. So pre-shop right. is how do we get onto their list? So that might be, that might look more like digital tactics, um, mm-hmm. couponing, things like that. And so it doesn't necessarily, and usually, you know, I take all these tactics and I say like, 
how do I tie them directly back to the retailer? So if we wanted to say for pre-shop do social media, I'd say, okay, well, can we, can we get a post from the retailer social? Like mm-hmm. we can do that. That's a huge win. Right. Um, so, in, and then shop would be in-store signage or in-store. Coupon. Yeah. Couponing. There's all, I mean, display, um, doing brand partnerships in stores. Right. There's lots of, if I, I mean, some, some brands will do demos. Um, mm-hmm. I personally am not a huge demo fan. Uh, yeah. Demos aren't great for um, us. And cool. then yeah. when you talk about <laughs> post shop, like yep. what does that look like for? Yeah. That's all. Yeah. And a lot of post shop is, is more closer related. I mean, in my opinion, uh, to, to some of the brand awareness tactics. So then how do we say like, okay, you had this experience with our brand. How do we keep reminding you to, to buy us again next time? So a lot of that might come in by way of, uh, you know, email subscriptions or sharing mm-hmm. recipes, getting people a little bit more engaged with the brand. How do we kind of do some retargeting and redirecting right. to get them to purchase again? Got it. But that's not necessarily through the retailer or um, you're saying it can be. No, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it definitely can be. Um, you know, there's... I don't know how like specific you want me to get, but like Kroger, yes, for okay. example, has yeah. <laughs> Kroger, Kroger has, you know, capability to do some retargeting, um, advertising right. that's directly through their site. And and I actually really enjoy doing Kroger programming because it's so targeted and because it's on the Kroger site. Right. Um, I'm not, you know, popping up. Well, I mean, you can, you can do offsite ads, but I prefer to not pop up on weather.com. I'd rather... Mm-hmm you know, be seen on the site as people are building their grocery lists. So right. um, Kroger and Target both have great programs. For that. Yeah, we're going to talk more about Target. Yes. Um, okay, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and then we're going to talk about your experience at Siete and then for all of you emerging brands, how to do this. We'll be right back. I want to tell you a little bit about HRN's business membership drive. We all know that small businesses keep our communities vibrant. For $500, HRN will shine a light on your work and you will help sustain our mission to expand the way people think about food. This fundraiser will support not just In the Sauce, but the amazing HRN community of food podcasts. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. Go to heritageradionetwork.org backslash biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org, B-I-Z. Thank you. I'm back with Eleanor Hayden, a shopper marketing consultant, expert, you know, our go-to, you know, rock star for all things shopper. Um, so after Kodiak, um, you know, it sounds like you kind of learned this like pre-shop, shop, post-shop. You started figuring out, you know, different ways to get attention to the brand, um, you know, ways to find, it almost sounds like you found sort of cracks to crawl through as a little brand to like find ways to compete a little bit for attention without the dollars necessarily of the big kids. Is that a fair assessment? Yes. And then you moved over to Siete. Um, did they have shopper marketing? Like what, what's, what year was this? What size were they? Were they, were they still just mostly the family and what, like when was this? No, they were, I mean, uh, they were, God, what, like probably 30 employees, 40 employees by the time okay. I got there. Right. They did not have anybody in shopper, but they did have a growth marketing director. Um, and you know, she's still there. She rocks. She taught me so much around, um, you know, Instacart and some right. other programs. And so yeah, when I, I, think I definitely, growth, I definitely think D to C, mm-hmm. you know, like, I guess they're all, everything's starting to blur, but you know, Instacart ads weren't even a thing until I think the pandemic, right. Or, so, or something actually, like that. Were yeah. They actually get them out before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Were they? Okay. So I, you know, I never really think of growth as like grocery. I always think of growth as someone who's buying ads, honestly, like yeah. for D to C brands. So that was not what this was. This 
you know. No, I mean, well, it, it is. So she managed, I mean, she was over the whole marketing function. Right. Um, so she, they kind of viewed, I'm assuming all, all marketing aspects as growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, at the time she was managing a lot of the shopper tactics. And so I came in and uh, kind of took over. And so like we, the target.com and the Instacart and that, that yeah. sort of those chunks of that, of that right. digital stuff. Yeah. 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 And then about a month into my role there, um, they needed, they needed someone to be managing their merchandising team as well. So mm-hmm. um, I shifted over into director of shopper and merchandising um, helping out the merch team. And, and then a few months later, COVID hit. So, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of was a, a lot of all at once, um, uh, you know, retailer meetings were on pause for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And so, and people you know, weren't merchandising. Well, yeah, kind of, I right. mean, kind of, right. So it's like, yeah. we had people merchandising cause we had some that were still allowed in stores. And, right. um, honestly at that point, I mean, Siete hats off to them. They, you know, they were there, helping stores out just with any merchandise yep. that they need, not yeah. just, just uh, unpacking products. boxes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, um, you know, making sure that the team had what they needed and kind of putting out fires for the, those few months and then kind of reevaluating, how are we going to do shopper? It's, it's not going to be the same way we've done it in the past because right now, like we can't meet with the retailers. It's tough to work on relationship management, things like that. Um, and shifted a lot more towards a lot of these digital tactics. So that's really, you know, spent a lot of time in that. And then you decided to do your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. So about nine months ago, so June of last year, I, uh, you know, my husband and I became foster parents back in March of last year. And, uh, you know, decided we needed a little, I, well, I wanted a little bit more flexibility right. uh, to spend time with the kids and kind of do things that we needed to do. And, um, it kind of all worked out timing wise where, you know, I was getting a lot of interest from other brands reaching out, asking for mm-hmm. shopper help. And I thought, you know what, I think I can, I think I can do this. Yeah. And so here we are. And here we are. So, you know, we, we found you, um, you know, we had, you know, Courtney, who's amazing, who came from Fresh Direct, so understood that, you know, there was a game a little bit to be played. You know, I think Mm -hmm. if you, if you're a founder like me and you don't have any CPG experience, a lot of, like I've said, sort of my D to C founder friends, they just sort of think like you sell in, you get on the shelf, you know, you have all these people who want you because, you know, you've built this community Um, and it doesn't exactly work like that. Um, you know, there's, there's a little more to it. There's like, there's appeasing the retailers and making them happy, um, by investing in making sure that you're getting pull off those shelves. Um, there's, you know, competing, like you said, for, you can have a lot of people who love you, but they don't necessarily buy you every week and put you in their shopping cart, whether that's in-store or online. So let's just break it down a little bit in terms of, you know, I mean, when you say sort of bottom of the funnel, you mean, or do you mean that like that awareness kind of, oh, this looks like an interesting brand is kind of top of the funnel and then they move sort of through and now they're like at the point where they're going to buy you. Yes. And that's where you step in. Yes. Well, close. Yeah. Like, so the closer down the bottom of the funnel, the closer they are to purchasing your product. Right. Right. And so another reason why I love shopper marketing so much, um, because it is, it is definitely a more exciting part of marketing. I mean, you get to, you get to be right there at the end when you think, a shopper is pretty close and now we can pull them in and close, close the deal. Um, so there's a ton of different tactics, you know, we have in store, but then we also have online. Right. Um, right. So let's start with online. Okay. And does, does Instacart count even though it's not one particular retailer? Okay. Oh yeah. So break down what online (laughs) shopper looks like. Yeah. So, um, I would say, especially right now, but even pre pandemic, um, 
online shopper marketing is so incredibly important. Um, tons of, of research coming out talking about how many people really are putting in online grocery orders. And I, I can't remember the percentage, but I it's saw some lot. crazy stats. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I even had a client ask me, he's like, Eleanor, if you had $1 to spend for our brand, where would you, I was like, well, first off, I don't really know how far a dollar could get me. I, I know I could be scrappy, <laughs> but that's pretty scrappy. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but I said, I was like, Instacart, like hands yeah. down. Um, you know, the brands I work with, have seen yeah. 145% growth in yep. gross profit from Instacart alone. I mean, yep. it's, it's so that we uh, saw like five X at Wegmans or something. I mean, yeah. it was crazy. Someone yeah. told me, I think it was our target broker that like a thousand dollars a month gets you three minutes or something on like on display. It, it was something like that. Like, I think that's probably an exaggeration, yeah. but it was literally like, oh, wait, huh? You know? <laughs> like, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Instacart, number yeah. one, what, what is there for us to do as small brands? Yeah. How do we maximize Instacart if we're little? Yeah. Well, um, so on Instacart, there's, there's two ways you can advertise, um, currently. So there's sponsored search, which is kind of, you know, where you are, setting up, it's kind of like SEO, um, mm -hmm. but with keywords for groceries. So as somebody's searching, you know, dinner or sauce, right. we want Haven's Kitchen to be one of the first ones to pop up. Right. And that is a bidding game, but also a relevancy game. So um, if I'm bidding on the keyword uh, potato chips for your brand, the likelihood of me actually winning that should be low because it's not super relevant to the shopper. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if I bid enough, sometimes... Uh, you could sneak it. Right. Um, but again, do it's like, do we want to be coming up on that? Probably not. Right. Um, so, you know, really kind of working on, on making sure you have the most optimized bidding. Um, I would say like the reason I love Instacart for any size brand, uh, and sponsored search in general is, you know, um, it really levels out the playing field between you and the big guys. So at, at that point, your dollar is worth the same amount as theirs, you know, there's no, if you, you know, spend this much more or kind of, it's mm -hmm. the more you spend, the more you get. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, one thing that I, I really love. So if you think about Pepsi, for example, and I love, I love, I keep using them. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I mean, they know what they're doing. Yeah. They have, so they have hundreds of products, right. And so many brands under their, you know, business and, um, all this distribution that they can't actually, if you really think about it, I can't imagine that they actually are able to run their sponsored search programming all year round on every brand, on every product. Right. Um, there's just, there's, it would just be insane. Mm -hmm. um, so they have to be really strategic. What times of year make the most sense? What times of the month make the most sense? What times of day even mm -hmm. for each uh, product? Mm -hmm. And so paying attention to when some of those big companies are going dark is when you can kind of take advantage and maybe not have to bid as much, right? Because right. they're the ones who probably are putting in a lot more. So um, that's one way, you know, to optimize and, and kind of um, take a look. And I think, you know, brands always ask, well, how do you know when they go dark? Right. I'm like, well, I just uh, log on to Instacart <laughs> as a user, <laughs> as a regular shopper, ad, right. <laughs> and I search for Pepsi. And if I don't see, if I don't see the little sponsored logo, I know it's, mm -hmm. I know that they're not um, gone. So you know, I think that really levels out the playing field. And then, yep. you know, the other secret to sponsored search is really just finding the, your balance between your ROAS, your ad spend, your reach and your profitability. So I think everyone gets really hyper fixated on ROAS and you kind of hear brands talking to each other, you know, it's just an expo. And, yeah. Lots uh, of ROAS. Being yeah. They're around. like, well, yeah. my ROAS on Instacart is 10 X. I'm like, that is sweet. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you are leaving so much money on the table. Um, and just giving like a quick explanation of, of what profitability and looks like and how it can change. Um, really, I mean, makes a huge difference. So I think right. kind of finding that balance is really important. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so there's sponsored search. And then what's the other thing on Instacart? The banner ads? Yes. So the yes. display ads. So that's actually, I, you know, I, I took a couple of notes before hopping on this call. And um, I have three big Instacart tips. And one of them is Ooh. participating in display ads. And I'd mm -hmm. say, 
um, the reason I say that is so Instacart just launched their um, CPM bidding structure for display ads in October of last year. So it's only been live for about five months and I'm still seeing such a huge gap. Like really, I mean, so many brands are not participating in display ads. And I Mm -hmm. think it's also, I mean, there's a little bit more of a hurdle for display ads than the sponsored search in that like you have to have creative made. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so it seems like that's really what holds people up from doing it. We're doing that, right? Doing it. Yeah. Yeah, Oh yeah. You guys feel like on it. Yeah. Oh yeah. You've been on it and uh, definitely reaping the benefits. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy because since there are, since it's so underutilized, the bids are still just like, so, I mean, it's so cheap. (laughs) Um, So you get just crazy returns um, and a ton of reach. And so it's really low cost, but very effective marketing. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So Instacart, and then there's these different retailers. So they all seem to have them. I I don't know what Whole Foods is doing, but we'll talk about that. Target has one. Kroger Kroger. clearly has one. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is like, so we're in, you know, we're launching in a couple of Albertsons regions, but, you know, we're not in all of the regions and we're not in every store of every region. So sometimes it's hard to do that stuff when you're in, you know, not all of the stores because they they can't like whittle it down quite that way. Um, Mm -hmm. So is there like a general, you kind of have to be above a certain size or a store count kind of, and tell me about that. Yeah. That's what's so special about the digital uh, world. I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the the system knows which stores you're in stock in. Mm -hmm. And so um, you know, I have clients that have gotten 200 store tests at Target and mm-hmm. we're running a uh, sponsored search at Target just for those 200 stores. So we're right. not wasting any dollars, but um, we're getting really great opportunity to help our case to try to get that uh, additional distribution. Right. Um, so, you know, Target versus a Kroger, and that's at all retailers, but um, when you're looking at retailer specific programming, everyone kind of uses a different software. Mm-hmm. You have Target that you can you can advertise on Target via Citrus Ads or Criteo. Um, KPM has their own platform. GoPuff right. has its own platform. So yeah. What's KPM? Uh, KPM is Kroger Precision Marketing. Got so, it. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it does, it does Whole Foods have digital, I mean, we've spent a lot of time, people are like, I'm on Prime, I don't see it, there's something there. Is Whole Foods, like, can you explain what's going on there digitally at all? Yes. Or, yeah, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> I laugh on this one a little bit because Whole Foods, I'm like, Whole Foods, hello, you're owned by Amazon, like you should be pretty good at yeah, digital. search and yeah. internet and <laughs> whatever. And um, I laugh because they actually don't have a dedicated platform for Whole Foods yet on uh, Amazon, but we um, actually, Courtney and I have been kind of working on some of this together and Mm -hmm. are looking at um, figuring, we kind of are figuring out a way to create our own account on Whole Foods for brands that aren't already sold on Amazon. So Mm -hmm. if your products are sold on Amazon, it's super easy to advertise and do sponsored search and display on Whole Foods. But if you're not getting that Amazon account is difficult, but that's, that's what we're working on. And hopefully you'll have it very soon. Yay. Very cool. Okay. So the one other piece of online or digital that we haven't talked about are coupons. Yeah. Coupons have evolved. Yes. Yeah. So um, coupons have evolved and I, I will say digital coupons might even require like a completely separate podcast episode because it is so, uh, it's just so complicated. At times. Okay. So you have like the brand, then you have to work through a clearinghouse and then you might work through an in-mart or quotient if you're going to like direct retailer and can so, you just tell me very basically, like, I yeah. know we do digital coupons. I yes. don't really know what that means. 
just for like the total novice. Sure. Yeah. So digital coupons, uh, let's say you go grocery shopping at Kroger and you open up your Kroger ClickList app and you can go in and select any of those coupons available. Um, So as you're selecting and putting them into your kind of wallet, um, that's called a clip. So Mm -hmm. digital coupons for retailers are sold on a cost per clip basis plus the redemption fee. So we might say, okay, let's do a $1 off coupon and have 10,000 clips. And then we would estimate the spend by saying, okay, with 10,000 clips at eight cents a clip, that's our fee. And then we can estimate maybe, you know, a seven to 10% redemption rate, depending on how hot the offer is and how utilized the coupon program is, et cetera. Um, So that's kind of how the digital coupons work. Now, setting them up can kind of be a little wonky because, you know, a lot of brands might want to go directly through Inmar, but that can be very expensive. So working through a smaller clearinghouse Mm -hmm. usually saves quite a bit of cost. Um, But yeah, that's digital coupons. And then backing up a little bit, because I feel like, you know, I wanted to go deep in because I really want people yeah. who don't have a you to <laughs> to just be able to like figure some of the stuff out. Yes. Is the idea, and I know this is a weird question, but th- there is a theory, right? That there are some sales channels that are meant to be profitable right. and some sales channels that you kind of almost run almost at break even because they're really serving to be awareness. Right. For example, a lot of people don't make any money at Costco. They have, uh, you know, $2 million in top line sales, which might help them reduce their cost of goods or, you know, maybe help get a little bit more attention from their co-packer. But after all is said and done, they lose you know, $2 million on, you know, all the things that they have to put in. And so essentially it's a break-even account, even though like the top line is 2 million. So are there, are, do you run accounts for companies where they're like, just, we're doing this for awareness. We want to be, we want to be selling a lot, but we also are willing to put in a lot of trade so that, or, you know, a lot into shopper so that we're constantly top of mind. So like we're really building that awareness and we're getting people interested, but we're also spending a lot on these platforms and it's okay to not run that profitably. Yeah. Yeah. So I am, (laughs) I am very bullish on Instacart and sponsored search and all these like amazing tactics that I know will get these brands, the profitability and the revenue that they need to see to continue to grow. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I show them all of this growth opportunity and they come to me and say, Hey, we want to do like more brand awareness. Can we shift some of our marketing dollars or marketing brand awareness dollars into something that's maybe not as high ROAS, but it'll help us get more awareness. And I'm always like, but there's still more opportunity on sponsored search or like, there's right. still more <laughs> right. that doing. like if you have more dollars, let's shift them over. But I think, you know, you're getting that brand awareness, but the reason brands want brand awareness is to drive trial. So if we're already driving trial, you know, so it, right. it's <laughs> the, the closest thing I've done to a brand awareness, uh, more brand awareness focused program has been, running category display ads on Instacart because currently I usually only recommend keyword display ads. Right. Um, and I do that because it's a lot more targeted um, and you can be more selective about how you're kind of spending your dollars and, and control the return where with category ads, it's a little different. So, and one question I had about that too, like my dream is that our sauce, like our chimichurri shows up when you search flank steak on Instacart not when you search chimichurri. Like, yeah, of course you need to own your spot and that whole thing and like yada, yada. But like, 
can you do that? Can, can we be like, you know what, let's just do when, when anyone searches salmon filet, I want my gingery yeah. miso to show up. Will that not pass the relevancy test on Instacart's end? You know, it might, um, especially if we bid enough. So I think like if we picked right. a few keywords that we really wanted to lean in on and say, Hey, I know that this is more of a complimentary keyword. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want to see like how these go. I think it's worth a shot. Um, okay. We'll talk about that after. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have all like 2000 keywords of Haven's Kitchen memorized, but, right. um, but I could probably bet that we're bidding on some of those um, right. already. So, we, you know, we can go take a look more specifically there, but um, yeah, that's a great call out. So that's online and then in store. Before we go to in-store, I did want to share a couple more tips uh, because I, I do know that a lot of the small guys are listening and I want to make yeah. sure that they feel set um, on tips for Instacart. Amazing. So I'm going to rewind a little totally. bit. Um, so one of the other big tips for managing Instacart when you first get in is um, a lot of brands will just kind of set and forget. Um, and that's just not how Instacart works. It's super mm-hmm. important to be checking your accounts frequently. And I think that's also another reason why the brands I work with work with me because a lot of times you just don't have the resources uh, for people to be spending that time in the office. Um, And so, you know, going in at least once a week and checking for opportunities to increase spend on bids that are performing really well for you, um, increasing based on looking at like what the suggested bid is, but then also kind of taking into account the average CPC um, CPC cost, cost per, per click. click. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the average cost per click, it's one of the metrics that they show per keyword on Instacart. And then Instacart also has a two week attribution window, meaning, you know, let's say I go in and I search flank steak and Haven's kitchen pops up. I see it. Um, let's say I like, you know, add it to cart, but I don't actually purchase right away. Um, if I make that purchase within two weeks, it'll count as the sale. Um, Got it. So the it, it takes two weeks to fully see what your attribution looks like from kind of the start of an engagement to the end. And so, you know, I like to go in. Um, I go in a lot more often than this and do this. But again, for brands, if you don't have the resource or time to at least go in once every two weeks and look at your bids um, and edit down where your keywords aren't performing or sort by um, by spend and see where are you spending that you're not getting any sales? And can you, can you lower those bids? So you're not wasting um, your budget. And is Instacart still doing that thing? Like, I remember we were showing up in like, like cherries or something was Mm -hmm. like one of our keywords for Romesco. And we had no idea why. And no one, it didn't seem to. That is such a good segue into my last tip. Um, (laughs) that's an awesome segue (laughs) to the next tip. I would say, so, um, if you, if you really want to maximize your potential. So the reason that was happening was because, um, I mean, before we were working together, (laughs) you guys were using an AI platform, which AI is really awesome. Again, for brands who don't have the time or resources to spend on their own. Um, but you are going to have, um, a few random things, like random whoopsies. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, these sweet little robots are just too young. Um, and they, <laughs> they, they still make a fair amount of mistakes. I actually, it's pretty funny because, you know, I'm on Instacart every day and, um, I'm sending in glitches to the team before they even see them. I mean, it's just, it's pretty funny, but, um, you know, I had, uh, a few other brands that were also working with the same AI company that you guys worked with. Um, similar issue. I had a bread brand that was bidding on beef sticks and an ice right. cream brand <laughs> bidding on birthday cards, you know, like right. it just doesn't yeah. make sense. And it's a bummer because it's, it's wasting, you know, valuable budget. Yes. Um, so, you know, this is where I kind of say, Hey, like if there's any marketing that's worth spending your, your people time on, um, or even your time with consultants or whatever, um, it's, it's, it's this, especially right now. Um, yeah. and so, you know, AI can be kind of tough at times. And then, you know, the other thing is, is that AI doesn't always launch when the new products that Instacart or KPM or any of these other guys um, are launching. So, you know, for example, when 
Instacart launched their display ads in October, at least to my knowledge, I don't know any AI companies. I don't know any companies that are even doing it yet at all Mm -hmm. um, for AI display ad support. So um, it's another way to be able to get in early if you could just, you know, do it yourself or sometimes humans are actually effective. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know a lot of people might not agree with me. I might be making some Googlers no, upset. It's but. definitely like, <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's a combination of the two, but there's, it, you know, any technology takes time to catch up to the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, right. um, it will, you know, and then there'll be a new thing, you know, and that's the thing people just have to stay one step ahead a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay. So for, those, you know, and just sticking with, you know, Instacart and, you know, sponsored search and all that, you know, basically, I mean, I think you would agree, like if you are a brand and you are fortunate enough to get onto Sprouts shelves or Target shelves, you should count on spending some percentage of your marketing budget on those platforms. Is that a fairly safe thing to say? I would say generally, yes, but there's some retailers actually, and I don't know if I'm going to get myself in trouble with Target when I say that I really recommend holding on any roundel spending until Target business is about two and a half million dollars or more. Um, Yeah. But that's roundel spending. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, for Target, yes, like let's get into Criteo right off the bat or um, Sprouts, like let's get a coupon calendar going so we can start running promotions there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I like to have a plan ready for launch for every brand or every retailer. And then speaking of that, you know, how, if you are, you know, I have a lot of founder friends that have young brands that have great products that have been fortunate enough to, you know, get a break at these retailers. And they don't even know, like we didn't, we, they didn't even know what they didn't know. So mm-hmm. they're definitely not hiring a whole human to do this. Right. Like what, what is the right time for a brand to bring in a whole human to do this? What, yeah. Who, who should they hire? How should they think about this? You know, what would you do if you were one of them? Yeah. So when Ballistic Bake Shop is, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So I would say in terms of hiring like a full-time shopper marketer in-house, it's tough. It's tough to give like an exact timeline, but I would say because it's so tough to find people with experience and then the people that you do find can be very expensive. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like, even for like pretty, I've been seeing director level salaries for shopper marketing managers. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, it it gets a little wild, but, you know, I've been recommending to brands to hire someone with sales, hire someone who's like me. I mean, with sales experience that wanted to get into marketing and then train them up with mentors, consultancies, conferences, Um, even, you know, I'm hoping to launch shopper marketing bootcamp uh, early Mm -hmm. next year. And That's I think cool. that will be hopefully um, something that'll be really valuable for, for brands to be using. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Before we go, we haven't talked about in-store. And yes. I had a whole conversation with Wade Yenny, who was at Jimbo's and is now at Fresh Market as of last week. Um, and, you know, he was basically saying, like, forget about brands doing off-shelves and, you know, displays with, you know, talk going back to that salmon and miso that I always talk about it's hard enough for like the bacon and eggs guys to put a shelf together and keep it going so it really is on the brand you know it's on us as the brand to do as much merchandising as we can so you know I mean I'm not going to share everything but we're doing some pretty nifty stuff that you know Sprouts and Albertsons haven't seen before um and they require human beings going into the store to do things. And it's not demoing. Other than signage and a clip strip of coupons, um, you know, demos, like, are there other in-store opportunities that you're seeing that are working that 
buyers and grocers are liking that are working for brands? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, working directly with the retailer marketing teams and the retail mm-hmm. dietitian teams has been such a huge asset. It's mm-hmm. been what has really made the difference between, you know, feeling stuck in that, you know, you're either going to spend the $50,000 on signage or, Mm -hmm. um, only do digital. And I think when you work directly with the retail and marketing teams is when you can start learning a little bit more about what you specifically can do with each retailer. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of them, a lot of the programs that they offer are online, but there are opportunities for in-store. And I think that once you build relationships with those retail and marketing and dietitian teams, it opens up a lot of opportunity for collaboration and being the right. first one to try something at that retailer. I mean, yeah. when we did National Flapjack Day with Kodiak mm-hmm. Cakes at Jewel Osco, we got like all the Jewel employees were wearing National Flapjack Day t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, we did like in-store giveaways. It was just like a lot of like fun, cool things that that they had never done before. And yeah. um, you know, it's really your chance to kind of get in. And then also just like, it opens up for helping them create their content calendars. I mean, they are also mm-hmm. tasked with with coming up with so much content um, and it's fun to be able to work together and come up with some some cool ideas. Yeah, I've just found that it's, it's not as easy. You know, they're very busy. Um, oh, yeah. And in some cases, you know, we don't even know who to go to. Like, and in some cases, we've been doing really well in a store for three years and we still don't have... A, a person in the marketing team that we have been given as like sure. our person. Um, any advice for getting through to that or just, you know, yeah. working with retailers in general right now? Yeah. Um, you know, at risk of sounding salesy, I'm like, call me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I think, it's, Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, you know, some of that, um, you know, connecting with people who already have those relationships, making the intros. And then, you know, of course, there's always going to be the that one retailer, maybe the one region that you just are really struggling that I even, you know, struggle to get a hold of at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, I would lean in with the retailers that are wanting to lean in with you. And can you, if your buyer is super jazzed, if you have one buyer that's just like so jazzed on your product, like, use them as leverage. Hey, can you connect me to someone on the marketing team? Yeah. Um, I think also something that's been really beneficial about us working together and, um, you know, other clients of Hayden Consultancy are that um, being able to even just say, hey, we have someone who's managing shopper marketing for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And really, that really shows them how much you and your brand are willing to lean in as well. And I think that gets them excited too. All right. Well, that was amazing. Um, Eleanor, how do people find you? It's not 1-800-ELEANOR. Although I think you could like buy that and just make that your thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And have my two-year-old answering the phone calls. Right. Um, <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, yeah. Uh, so my business is called Hayden Consultancy. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and then, you know, if you want to shoot me an email, too. they can, yeah. 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 Email is uh, Eleanor at HaydenConsultancy.com. And mention in the sauce because, you know, I don't know why, but yeah, you know, she'll pick it up quicker. (laughs) We'll give a referral credit. Okay. Um, Yeah. For something something fun like that. Exactly. (laughs) You'll send me a plant. Um, Yes. I love it. (laughs) Amazing. Um, All right. Well, this was super, super helpful. Thank you so much. I actually have a few ideas that I'm going to be emailing you and Courtney about the minute that we get off the, you know, the horn. Um, Armin, thank you as always for engineering and, um, listeners, I will be back next week. I have a trademark attorney who does all of our IP and, um, copywriting and trademark protection. You would be shocked at the number of brands that have trouble finding investors or getting acquired because they don't own their trademarks. It's crazy. So um, Amanda is coming on. I've never heard anyone talk about trademarks and copywriting with as much like joy and excitement as she has. So I am legit pumped for this conversation. Um, 
And I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.